podcast and I'm your host Jane Perone and this week we're going gaga for Gesneriads. Joining me this week I have Dale Martins of the Gesneriad Society to offer up all her top tips for looking after this amazing clan of plants including a cunning way of watering, the problem of pests and also Gesneriad propagation. I have to say, after my interview with Dale earlier this week, I was so excited about Gesneriads that I literally spent all night dreaming about them. I am not joking. That's just quite how much I love this group of plants. So I'm really excited to bring you this episode. Now, before I forget, I must remind you that I'm going to be appearing at the Hampton Court Palace Flower Show next Wednesday the 4th of July. I'll be talking about houseplants at 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock. The same talk repeated twice, so unless you're really keen, you probably don't want to come to both. Uh, and I'm going to be in the road, the, what's it called? It's got a complicated name. The Festival of Roses Theatre. So please do come and say hello if you're going to be there. I will have a few samples of my On The Ledge podcast t-shirt, which I may be able to uh, slip you. Supply is strictly limited, first come, first serve basis. Um, so do come and say hello to me at the Hampton Court Palace Flower Show if you are able to come. I know I've been promising you a newsletter for like forever, for a long time, but I promise you that that is going to be on the way soon. If it's not with you by the next episode, I want you to take your largest and spikiest cactus and place it on my podcasting chair without my knowing. And I really will then pay the price for not doing the newsletter. So please do hold me to that one. And if you are not a subscriber to the newsletter, it's quite simple. Go to janeperone.com and click on the newsletter link in the top right hand corner of the homepage. That's all you need to do. And I haven't done this for a little while, but I wanted to give a shout out to my newer Patreon subscribers. Thanks for coming on board, you ledge ends. It's great to have you along. I hope you're enjoying the extra content that you get with Patreon subscriptions to On The Ledge. You are Ashley, Jennifer, Cara, Sasha, Gabby, Mai, Teeny, Joseph, Julianne, Emily, Miriam, and Claudia, thanks to all of you. If you haven't had a mention and you are a Patreon supporter, then do give me a nudge because I always like to give a shout out to you guys because you really are the engine that keeps this show going right now. So give yourself a pat on the back and maybe treat yourself to a new houseplant this weekend because you are wonderful people and you deserve a treat. There you go. You got permission from me to splash out. Well, without any further ado, let's join Dale Martins for our Gesneriad chat. We talk about everything from the huge range of plants in this wonderful family, how best to water them and what growing medium to use, and also why you may even have to call on your dentist if you really want to get deep into the world of Gesneriad hybridisation. Here's Dale. Well, I am a retired speech pathologist and when I retired, I really jumped into the world of gaznariids. 
I am currently the Back to Basics columnist for the Gesneriads Journal, and that's from the Gesneriads Society. And I'm also a judge. I often teach uh, workshops for judges. In fact, I'm doing that this year. And I also give um, presentations. In fact, at convention uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll be speaking on growing Streptocarpus and Syningia show plants. So I've been growing Streptocarpus actually since 1985 and have had a lot of fun with it. And as you know, uh, people who grow plants are just the kindest, sweetest, most generous people. So it's really been the joy of my life to uh, be in this plant world. Well, that's so lovely to hear. And you've answered my first question already, which is I've always been a bit nervous about this word because it's one of these words that I've read a lot. But until I did a podcast about houseplants, hadn't really had the chance to say out loud whether it was Gesneriad or Jesneriad. I've heard both, but I kind of go with Gesneriad just because it sounds better to me. I guess it doesn't really matter. How, how do we how, how do we define this plant group? What are there any kind of I mean the taxonomists obviously have have a a clue about this, but what are the defining characteristics of this massive group of plants? Well, when you look at them a lot of times you can't even believe they're all in the same family. But DNA studies, you know, that's the big deal now is that the scientists are looking into DNA studies. So they're the ones that tell us whether or not something is a Gisneriad and then which uh, genus it belongs to or if they need to give it its own uh, genus name. So right now, um, they have five lobes. Uh, we don't call them petals. They're five lobes because they're connected in the center. And apparently, and I'm not a botanist, apparently, you know, they've done the studies on the ovaries and things like that. Uh, these plants are from all over. There's new world and old world. The old world is like Africa, where we have streptocarpus and St. Paulia, which are also African violets. And uh, Primulina uh, from China. Uh, we have people that have gone to China on trips. And then the New World in um, South America, Central America, and Mexico. So, And they're diverse in that they have different root systems. There are some with rhizomes, some with tubers, and some just with your normal fibrous roots. I guess one of the the plants that will be most known in this group is the African violet. But I would say that it's kind of somewhat faded in popularity in recent years. And I think the streptocarpus is coming up on snapping at its heels in terms of popularity. I'm seeing almost as many streptocarpus as I am African violets when I go to the garden centre these days. Now, I know that you are... Uh, a streptocarpus nut, if I can call you that, and, and yes. a breeder of many plants. And anyone who listens to my show uh, regularly will know that I'm often banging on about streptocarpus and how great they are. What is it about streptocarpus that you love? Well, I like the diversity in flowers um, and uh, right now leaves because there are variegated mutations now. Uh, 
I was the first one to cross uh, variegated, two variegated strips with each other. One of them had been created by Margaret Gurr in New Zealand. She had taken strep Rexii seeds to her dentist and asked him to zap the seeds. And what she got was a variegated, one single variegated plant out of that, which she named Canterbury Surprise. And it found its way to the Gisneriad Convention back around um, the year 1999 or 2000. And at that very same time, there happened to be another variegated mutation at that convention. I ended up bringing both leaves home. I grew them to maturity and crossed them with each other. So we've got that variegation, which is a white irregular variegation on the green foliage. And then there's another variegation that came from both strep candidus, the species, and strep lilliputana. And that's a yellow kind of stripy variegation. So that's a lot of fun, too. And those are smaller plants. And then the leaf size, you've got the teeny tiny ones like strep lilliputana, and they grow uh, near the streams, and so they like their feet wet. And then we've got the strap leaves like uh Kentaniensis. I really like that leaf. So we've got quite a variety in leaves. And then, oh my goodness, the flowers. It's just unreal. Just in the last, um, I'd say, six years with the bicolors, where the top two lobes are one color and the bottom three are another color. That's a lot of fun. So it, there are quite a variety in the, in the streps, and, and hybridizing with them has just been an awful lot of fun. You're just going to have to rewind there a minute, Dale. She took the seeds to her dentist and, and what, he zapped them with radiation or something? Yes, this, and it's important that the radiation was the amount that you give for teeth. And because I have a friend, um, Connie, whose husband's a dentist, and so she asked him to zap some seeds. And what they found was that if you overzap them, if it was too powerful, it killed the seeds. So it was the exact amount that one uses for teeth. And um, that's how Margaret, and Margaret also got another, she sent me seed, but um, it didn't produce what she got. She also got um, a two-tone flower, the outer edge, maybe about half an inch all the way around was a different color kind of like the Fleischli Roulette series that we have now, but she had it a long time ago from these x-rays. That's incredible. Um, that has completely blown me away. I did know that some in the past radiation has been used to create uh, to create different um, mutations, genetic mutations, but that's fascinating. And I love the idea of like popping into the dentist and saying, would you just mind? You've got to know your dentist pretty well to be able to sort of yes. say that. I've got these seeds. Could you just sap them for me? Streptocarpus uh, over here. I think one of the things that I love about Streptocarpus and that got me into these particular plants is their toughness. And uh, as a, somebody who's a not a great at remembering to water things, 
I like the fact that they don't complain too much if they're if they're on the dry side, at least the hybrids that I tend to grow. But I, I read that you you told me in uh, an email before this interview that you use a, a method of watering involving wicks. And I'd love you to tell me about what you do with that, because that's something I'd love to hear about. Well, you're right that some of the streps can be quite tough and and withstand some drought. In fact, I know um, that Dibley's uh, has my hybrid Texas hot chili, and I've been told that that's rather drought resistant, which is great. And of course, the Kenteniensis hybrids uh, tend to be very drought resistant. Well, I do a wick watering situation. And what I do is I take acrylic yarn, not cotton. If you take cotton, it'll dissolve. But you take acrylic yarn. I take a a piece about uh, 12 inches long and I thread that through the soil, through the bottom of the pot. And then the end of it goes into a covered bowl. Like we have, um, oh, it's called Cool Whip. It's it's like a whipped cream. It's a big tub and it's got a lid. So I would cut two holes in that lid and I would put my water with fertilizer in the bowl and then Mm -hmm. snap the lid on the bowl. And then now I've got my acrylic yarn that's gone through from the top of the pot, through the bottom of the pot, and then about six inches or so are laying in the bottom of the bowl and the bowl's got my fertilizer water in it. Well, what happens is the plant will drink as much as it needs through that acrylic yarn. And I ended up moving um, over 900 miles and I had plants in one state and plants in another state and I could leave them for three weeks because they were drinking on their reservoirs. So you leave the plant on the reservoir. And some say, well, isn't that too wet, especially for streptocarpus? Well, yes, it would be normally, but my soil mix is 50% perlite. So Mm -hmm. it's a very, very light soil. And um, I also put about half an inch, centimeter or so, of perlite in the bottom of my pot because I tend to overfill my reservoirs when it comes time to adding water. I overfill, so the pot then doesn't sit in a overfilled tub. Um, the perlite is what touches the water, so that's kind of a barrier against uh, having it be too wet. So I do that and it's worked out very well. I have not found a streptocarpus that hates it, including the drought resistant ones like the uh, strep cantiniensis itself or its hybrids. They do fine as long as it's 50% perlite. So just just to clarify, is the the pot of water uh, on the same level as the plant, higher or lower? The the plant sits on top of the lid. Oh, okay. On yeah. the bowl. I've yeah. got you. So I've got you. Yeah. And the, the only problem is algae. It tends, the bowl ends up getting algae. Mm. But 
by the time it drinks most of its water, um, you need to dump that water out anyway, wash out the algae, and then add more fresh water. I never allow that bowl to go totally dry. Well, that sounds like a very low, once you've got it set up, a very low maintenance method. And uh, I can certainly see the appeal of that. I do tend to find myself suddenly looking up on my windowsill and realising that one of my streps is suddenly wilting. In fact, I did it today and I suddenly thought, gosh, I've got to rush it out to the uh, to, a bu- to a bucket of water and give it a really good soak to get it back uh, on good form, which probably isn't very good for the plant. So I can imagine your system is uh, works really, really well. I'm just looking as we're talking, Dale, at some of the photos that you sent me. And what strikes me is just what an interesting clan of plants this is. Streptocarpus and African violets are merely a soupçon of the many different plants that come under this under this family. I've got a lovely picture here of some incredible primulinas, which have got if you're into variegated foliage, some of these primulinas have got amazing silvery veins. Then we've got the episcias. There's so many different types of uh, of gisneriads out there. I've just been growing some episcias from seed um this year but they're growing very very slowly i don't know if episcias are slow growers or if i'm just not giving them the right conditions but i need to i need to uh i think i might need to repot them but it's a big big deal to transplant often um it is shocking how quickly a young gazneriad will grow if you transplant it my first transplanting believe it or not is two weeks. I will lift the little guy with a toothpick and I'll put him back in its same pot. And it doubles in size. And then about um, three to four weeks later, um, it's big enough that I'll, I'll have it share um, a small greenhouse cell, which are about two inches by two inches. I'll have the little guys share a cell and they again double in size. It is just shocking because I can get a blooming streptocarpus from seed seed to bloom in about four months. They are very satisfying to, to grow from seed. Uh, also, propagation is so easy from the leaves I chucked out some streptocarpus leaves that I couldn't be bothered to propagate and they just went they just went literally on the soil in the border near my back door and I found some the other day they were still lying there one of them was flowering and was perfectly happy had no roots on it the other one had some roots on it and I'm thinking gosh how easy is this <laughs> I've done nothing and this thing's this thing's producing flower um they are really very generous in that regard. And I guess that's what makes them quite good things to, to pass around. Do you grow mo- many propagated leaves, for, passing them around when you're at Gesneria Society meetings and so on? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I'll be taking over 100 leaves to convention um, around the 4th of July. And uh, we all share with each other. And that's how we spread them is, is through that or like with the apicias, uh, with stolons, we'll take stolons. And also the petrocosmian, the primulina are very easily grown from, from leaves. So it's one of the, probably it's got to be one of the easiest families to propagate. 
Yeah, I think that's really true. And uh, it's such it's so easy and such good fun. And you end up with way more plants than you could ever need, which is a great excuse to give them away, isn't it? That's one of the things. One of the Gesner ads that I've grown for the first time this year is um, Achimenes. And I'm I'm a bit worried about my Achimenes, Dale, because it's it's doing OK, but it's like a long, tall column. And I'm thinking that maybe I should be doing more pinching out than I've done. Do they, do, uh, what, what, can you give me some Achimenes growing tips? Uh, yes, um, I really enjoy them. And in fact, I can grow them under uh, tube lights easily. But you're right, they need to be pinched way back when they're little guys. Uh, once they have about three sets of leaves, then you pinch the very tip off. And what happens is the two, the top two leaves remaining will each sprout. So you'll get a sprout. So now you've got two sprouts and then you wait maybe another couple of weeks until those two sprouts also have uh, three pairs of leaves and pinch it again. And then you end up with four. So all of a sudden you've got four stems from that one single plant. Well, that sounds like what I should have been doing. <laughs> <laughs> but I will I will persevere. And the wonderful thing about Achimenes uh, is you've got these little scaly rhizomes, which are look look very much like a kind of a, a caterpillar or something, which if they do go dormant, as I understand it, not that I've got to this stage yet, but if they do go dormant, then they can survive quite nicely in a, a dormancy if they happen to get too dry and then kind of be brought back to life the following spring. Is is that nice? Please tell me that's nice and easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It is. It is so simple. And I, I think of them as elongated pine cones, those little rhizomes. That's a good way of describing them. <laughs> and yes, um, once they die back and you should let it die back once it's bloomed and it starts looking raggedy. Don't do anything. Let it die back and then finally cut off the tops. And you can store them. Um, Achimenes can be stored rather dry. There are other gisnerid rhizomes that must be kept um, a little bit moist. But Achimenes are pretty rough or tough. You can actually leave them in the pot and uh, then around February, start adding a little water and they'll start sprouting by the end of February. Now, here's the big deal with rhizomes. Just like a, on a pine cone, you can take each one of those little bitty scales, you can pop them off and sow them on top of moist soil and they will sprout. Every single scale will give you a plant if you really want to propagate that's good value, isn't it? You could be spreading yes. these around. I wonder why they're not more popular, though, because I don't see them for sale or talked about. Although in a lot of my houseplant books, which are sort of older, it seems like in the past they were more popular. It's something that maybe our grandparents had on their windowsills, but it seems to have fallen out of popularity for some reason. Yes, it seems to. They're, they're very good for growing in um, hanging pots. Um, I have friends that grow them in hanging pots from the, the porch or the eaves of the house. And a bonus is that they attract hummingbirds. Ah, okay. That's interesting. I mean, not, not that I've got any hummingbirds around here. Sadly, in the UK, we are hummingbird free, but that's a lovely... <laughs> That's a lovely idea. I like the idea of, of trying to attack, attack attract hummingbirds, even though it's a it's a lost cause over here. 
<laughs> and I think the other one that I've been lured into trying, partly because the one thing that frustrates me about streptocarpus, and I know from what you've said that there are varying sizes of leaves, is some of those leaves are very, very broad. Uh, and my windowsills, they end up getting knocked and things because I just can't cope with those massive leaves. So I've recently got some Petrocosmia. Oh, uh, one of these teeny little plants, which are so adorable. I'm thinking yes. I'm treating that like a like a like a, uh, an African violet or like a streptocarpus. Is that is am I on the right lines? Yes, very much. And um, I grow them on the wick, but some say that they're better off grown, um, you know, just adding water to the pot. Um, they have the cutest flowers. The size is totally manageable. Um, it's really a wonderful little plant. And if, if they're hard to kill. They're actually hard to kill. <laughs> so I, I always recommend them. That's music to my ears. And I just was reading earlier in the wonderful Gesneriad Society publication, How to Know and Grow Gesneriads, which I, I have to say, I've just joined the society and this came in the post and I fell on it like a like a hungry, a hungry uh, person because it's got so much useful stuff in it. And one thing I learned today was that Petrocosmia, mean, the name means ornament of the rocks, referring to their beauty in their habitat, which I thought was rather nice. So that's going to help me to remember their names. I can't tell you what species I've got because I picked them up at the Dibley's stall at, at a, a garden show I was at last week. And... There were there was just the the Latin name. There was no indication of what they were like. So it's going to be interesting. I must look them up and see what I've actually got. But it's very exciting to to have these plants. And and the good thing is, I figured that they were small enough that my husband might not notice <laughs> the fact there's two new plants. But I think that's probably uh, a hide into nothing because uh, he will probably pick up eventually that there's two new plants. <laughs> Now, they do bloom once a year. It's not like an African violet that can bloom every year. So um, you'll enjoy the flowers usually um, perhaps November, December, January, February, around that okay. time. Oh, that's interesting. That How to Know and Grow Gisneriads is a phenomenal booklet that's that's free with with uh, membership and um it is for sale on the gisneriad uh, website but that's a wonderful wonderful booklet well it's great because there's not that much information out there on these plants in houseplant books the advice tends to be quite minimal and so it's really great to have a guide here which does actually give lots of detail and show off these plants because there's some in here that I've, I've there's lots in here that I've heard of but there's a few in here that I've never even come across I'm absolutely loving the Nortillocalyx oh yeah. it has leaves that look like Cavallonero black kale and these little white flowers it just looks incredible and apparently it's called that because the bracts that enfold the flowers thought to resemble the shell of the nautilus i've got to get hold of one of those that sounds amazing <laughs> uh, am i going to struggle to grow it though is that it, it says it's, it says it's elegant but fastidious i don't know what that means what does that mean dale 
Well, I think they prefer a little bit more humidity. Okay. And so that that would be concern if you had a house where you had the furnace on in the winter and air conditioning on in the summer. Then mm, their leaf tips might um, not do as well. But, oh, they're, they're a wonderful, wonderful genus. I really enjoy those. The other one that I've that I've now absolutely got obsessed about just from reading the description in here uh, is the Smithiantha, which not just because it's named after a woman, um, the uh, botanical uh, illustrator Matilda Smith, but also because it has these incredible. Well, the picture anyway shows this incredible red foliage, which looks out of this world. This is a Mexican genus. I want to grow some of those. They look so amazing. Well, I named one Sassy Redhead after myself. Ah, so I love it. I've been hybridizing those for over 20 years. Um, again, it's those leaves. They're gorgeous and they're fuzzy and and there's um yellows and reds and oranges and the, and then the leaves it's just a wonderful combination and in fact i have crossed them with the kimenes and then okay. that's called um an intergeneric then and the name of that is akimenantha so it's a cross between Achimenes and Smithiantha. And those are, in my mind, they're even better because they don't grow as tall. And so if you have a, an area that you really can't grow something taller like a Smithiantha, then Achimenantha is, is excellent. In fact, Dibley's has my hybrid uh, Golden Jubilee, Achimenantha Golden Jubilee. And I named that after the society's uh, 50th anniversary, their golden anniversary. Wow. Well, this is this is opening up all kinds of new growing possibilities for me. from Dale a bit later but now it's time for question of the week which comes from somebody calling themselves kneecaps what a great name and kneecaps is struggling with an impatience a very beautiful impatience and a not so common one which is a bit of a shame because it's a lovely plant the latin name guess what it's unpronounceable but uh, as usual I'm going to have a bash it's neum neumensis it used to be called Impatiens congolensis, which is a little more tolerable. But the common name is fun. It's called the parrot plant. And that's because of the flamboyant flowers, which do look a bit like a parrot's crest in shocking red and orange and yellow. Usually it's just as easy to grow as the very popular other member of the Impatiens family, the Busy Lizzie. But according to our guru, Dr. David Hesseon, Back when his Houseplant Expert book was published, which was about, well, at least 25 years ago now, if not 30 or 40, he says that about a quarter of British homes had a busy Lizzie in it. And I don't think that's probably true today. This parrot flower has never gained the popularity of the regular busy Lizzie then or since, but it is a lovely, lovely flower. 
So Kneecaps says that this plant started off with perky leaves and colourful blooms, but over the last month it's been dropping flowers and the leaves have slouched lower and lower and they fear that it's on death's doorstep and that there's some kind of parasite nibbling the leaves. They've been watering and misting to keep it nice and humid, which is good, but want to know how to fix this sad leggy appearance. Well, this is an interesting one. Busy Lizzie's, as you say, kneecaps, likes reasonably high humidity and unlike a lot of houseplants you do really need to keep the compost moist all the time during the growing season they don't really like to dry out now when you lose flowers i usually blame lack of light i think that's probably the cause here that the plant is not in enough light impatiens like this need bright light not direct sunlight and if they don't get it, they're going to look pretty miserable. I think that's the reason why it's leggy, the reason why it's dropping flowers and is generally unhappy. If you're keeping it really moist and it's not getting enough light, that is the circumstances under which all of these problems can get even worse. I'm not sure on the pest issue what the pest could be. There does seem to be some kind of damage on the leaves, but it's very hard to see. When I see pest damage without any obvious signs of an actual insect wandering around one does tend to think about spider mite but I think on the pest front you're just going to have to keep a really really close eye on the plant and if you see the leaves becoming very mottled then that's when you might definitely be able to diagnose spider mite. The other thing that to me that gives away the fact that this plant is not getting enough light is the sort of growth that's a bit spindly and thin as opposed to the more meaty growth you should be seeing. But bear in mind, this is a plant that does tend towards legginess anyway and will need pinching out regularly. That's just taking away the very top growing tip of the plant in order to make it more bushy. And looking at the pot you're using, kneecaps, it's quite a big pot for the size of the plant. Now, this would be OK if it was in a conservatory or greenhouse where it's getting plenty of light. But I think where it's situated right now and it's not getting enough light, that's just making this problem worse, where you've got very moist compost that's not doing the plant any favours. My advice would be to move it to a much brighter spot out of very direct sunlight, though. Pinch out that growing tip. And maybe take it out of its pot and see what's happening with the roots. If the roots look healthy, that's fine. But if they're a bit slimy and brown, it might be worth repotting into a slightly smaller pot that fits the root ball better. Because generally, this family likes to have a fairly tight set of roots before it will actually put out a lot of flowers. There's a really great post on the Hartley Botanic website by our friend of the show and guest on the very first episode of On the Ledge, Bob Flowerdew. And he calls this plant both impressive and flamboyant. And as a note of encouragement for you kneecaps, he says, even grown badly, it will still be curious and interesting. That's always a good thing. I'll put the link to that piece by Bob Flowerdew in my show notes for you to check out, where you'll also find a picture of this incredible plant. If you've got a question for On The Ledge, drop me a line to onthelegepodcast.gmail.com. There's also a contact form on my website if you prefer to go that way. Or there's Instagram, j.l.perone. And of course, our old friend Twitter, where I'm at Jane Perone. I know on the ledge is usually half an hour long, but indulge me here. 
gets nearly out to one of my favourite topics. So I decided to let this episode run a bit longer than usual. I hope you enjoy the second half of my chat with Dale, in which we talk about the dreaded pests, and also growing medium. I wanted to also ask you about growing medium because this is something where I often wonder if I'm doing the right thing. You said with your wick watering system that you use a very free draining mix, sort of 50-50. What are the different options in terms of uh, Gesneriad growing media? Does it vary from plant to plant? Is there something, if I stick them in just regular houseplant compost, will they be okay? Or should I be adding other things? Um, I would... Well, okay, there's um, some concern about just any mix because some commercial mixes have a wetting agent in it that helps hold moisture. And if your mix has that, it's okay to use it, but just add some more perlite so that it doesn't stay so soggy. And the other thing is some commercial mixes have fertilizer. They're very proud of the fertilizer that's in it and their their plants are okay for six months. Well, so if there's fertilizer in there, okay, go ahead and use it, but uh, watch how much other fertilizer you give uh, the plant. In fact, for the first two months, I probably wouldn't give any uh, extra fertilizer. And when uh, talking about fertilizer, I only use an eighth of a teaspoon uh, per gallon, and that's I use that every time for watering, so it never gets plain, plain water. So um, let's see, and then the other uh, commercial mixes, I, to me, there's no right or wrong mix. It's a matter of learning Um, how that particular mix is with your water. If your water is really alkaline, then um, you might have a problem. Uh, Here in the States, our waters are are different. In fact, I was using a reverse osmosis water. My husband installed a reverse osmosis system because uh, my water was very, very hard. And so I was using that. And if you use rainwater or reverse osmosis water, then you really need to be careful about adding trace elements. So you would have to look for fertilizer with trace elements to add to that rainwater or the reverse osmosis water. So that's that's interesting. So, you know, you've got to kind of bear that in mind rather than just getting something off the shelf. While we're talk- you're talking, I'm just looking at this picture, which has now totally explained your wick watering system to me. You've sent me a lovely picture of a lot of your streps all set up. And I noticed that, well, two things that I've noticed. One is that they're in what looks to me like quite small containers and two, that they're under grow light. So I wonder if we could just talk about pots for a minute. The clay versus plastic debate and also size. Do these streps like to be quite con- confined in the roots? Yes, you're right. They really do uh, like to be confined. My pots are rarely larger than four inches. And that's because they, they do like to be 
confined. That's when they start blooming. And clay versus um, plastic, again, it depends on, uh, neither one is wrong. Uh, It depends on how often you're willing to water. And uh, the clay pots, my mother-in-law grew um, epicias and African violets uh, for, for decades in clay. And what she did was she actually had my father-in-law go out to the onion fields and dig up the onion field soil because it was so black and rich. And she put that in a clay pot. So we're talking heavy soil in a clay pot. Now a clay pot breathes. So my method of adding lots and lots of perlite wouldn't work very well in a clay pot. You can have a heavier soilless mix in a clay pot. Um, And plastic does not breathe, so therefore my method of extra perlite uh, works very well in in those. Um, My reservoirs vary in size from what's called a pint to a quart, and I am switching from a pint to a quart eventually because I can leave them longer. I can go away longer. I don't have to add water <laughs> uh, for longer time. So that's that's why my reservoirs are getting uh, more towards the quart size. And you can find, um, I'm, I'm sure your stores have food storage plastic containers with lids, and you can cut two holes. One hole is for the wick. The other hole is to add water. So you can buy food storage containers. Um, We have restaurant supply stores, and they sell by like 200. Um, You can buy 200 containers, and then you have to buy the lids separately. And I cut the holes in those myself. Yeah, if I buy 200 containers, though, I'm going to end up with 200 good Exactly. <laughs> that's the that's the <laughs> <laughs> well people ask me how many plants do you have and i say 350 because i know i have 350 reservoirs right so you <laughs> this is the trouble isn't it once you start get started it, it really is a, a bit of an obsession i can feel i mean when my mum was visiting me recently she did say to me why? What do, do you need all those? Why do you need another one of those streptocarpus? And I said, just look at them. You must be able to see why I need them. They're so gorgeous. But I guess not everyone appreciates um, plants in the same way that we do. The the other curveball which is comes along when you have plants, any kind of plant, is the old pest situation. Mm. What are, are, these plants don't seem tremendously. Uh, subject to pests but are there anything in particular we should be looking out for with gizneriads in general uh, or streps in particular with pests well the two major ones it seems are thrips and thrips are actually pollinators so if you if your streps suddenly start having lots of seed pods then you'd better get out a magnifying glass and look for these tiny jumpy little silver colored things because uh, you've got thrips Uh, and the other one is mealy bugs 
um, the foliar mealy bugs, and then there's the type that are in the root system. And um, in the States, for thrips, we have a, a wonderful uh, chemical called conserve, and um, that gets rid of them. I just spray um, twice, so once and then wait a week and spray again. Um, for the mealies, oh boy, I tell you, I throw them away. I just, I just am not going to deal with mealy bugs. Uh, systemics um, are supposed to help uh, because mealies suck on the juices, and so the thought is the systemics then are absorbed into the insect and and kill it. But I tell you, they can move. I've watched them. They can move. And and if you've got streps like I've got on a plant stand, these guys will fall from a leaf from, from an upper shelf to, you know, something under it. And so that's how they end up spreading. So, and I, I don't care to use chemicals very much conserve is and some systemics i when i get a brand new plant i make sure that i isolate it i actually have a plant stand in the unfinished part of my basement and so i will always repot any new plant i get i get rid of their soil and I gently wash the roots. And while I'm washing the roots, I look for insects. And then I repot them in my, my own mix, and I'll add a systemic to it. And um, you can read on the containers, the systemics are usually like granules, sort of like a sand. And so I'll um, use, according to the directions on the bottle, a container, then I'll add my systemic. So I do the systemic when I get a new plant, and I'll spray it with conserve just in case there are thrips. And that's basically, I I think uh, mites, mites for African violets are the big, big thing. And apicias, they will attack them too. And how you know you have them is the center leaves will be crispy brown or gray. And again, mites, um, they're just awful. And so, and they walk fast too. And so I will throw away any plant that I think might have mites. But I'm just really careful when I get a new plant. I isolate for at least three months. And um, that's just really wise to do so you don't contaminate the rest of your collection. Yeah, that would be heartbreaking. been inspired by this chat to get to know Gesneriads better then I can't think of any better way to do that than to join the Gesneriad Society. You'll find their website at gesneriadsociety.org and if you are not in the US there's a green membership version where you can get the newsletters and so on sent to you via email. 
The Gesneret Society Convention is happening from July the 3rd to the 7th, and that's taking place near Boston in Massachusetts. And there's a public opening times on the Friday and Saturday of those dates. Do have a look at the Gesneret Society website for details, and I'll include those details in my show notes at janeperone.com. I'd also highly recommend taking a look at the Gesneriad Society's webinars page. Dale is one of a team of people who've produced 22 webinars all about the Gesneriad family and its various aspects. There's a free one which I'll link to in my show notes and loads more which you can buy to download and watch at your convenience. And it's a great way of finding out more about this plant family. And if you want even more of Dale, then become a Patreon subscriber. You'll find an extra chunk of interview with Dale on my Patreon feed as of tomorrow, that Saturday, including discussion of grow lights and streptocarpus hybridisation. Well, that's all for this week. I have to go because I have an important meeting this afternoon with a very, very important man who will be featuring on the podcast very soon. I can't tell you anymore. It's top secret. But look forward to that interview because you are going to love it. I shall love you and leave you, my houseplant friends. And I leave you with this thought. Happiness held is the seed. Happiness shared is the flower. In this episode, you heard Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, A Man Plays Trekking Song on Faywa Lake Pakara by Samuel Corwin, an instrument the boy called Happy Day Gikana, also by Samuel Corwin, and Overthrown by Josh Woodward, all licensed under Creative Commons. See my website for details. <laughs> <laughs>